want to draw your attention to the 13th chapter of Matthew. I wanted to bring another message that had a little bit of mission activity or evangelistic <coughs> thrust. And we're going to read uh, verses 24 through 30 and then find the explanation for the parable in 34 through 43. <coughs> when we come to... Uh, Matthew chapter 13, this is one of the chapters of the Bible that has a number of parables. I think there's eight different parables given by the Lord. Of course, Brother Demelow has explained the parable. Para, balo, para means around, balo, to throw. Argentina, bolo. <clears throat> is to throw or to place side by side for the purpose of comparison. I think a little boy made the best definition, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so let's look at verse 24. <clears throat> First he gives the parable, and then later he's going to explain it. Matthew <clears throat> thirteen twenty-four. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and he brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servant of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From which then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. <clears throat> the servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye <clears throat> root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. And then down in verse 34, the parable is explained. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables. Without a parable spake he not unto them. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I'll open my mouth in parables and I'll utter things that have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went to the house, and the disciples came to him and declared unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man, of course, Jesus Christ. The field is the world. And the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. And therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather up of his kingdom all things that offend, 
and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. I want to focus more on the sowing of the seed than the end of the world that this gets to. We'll make a few comments there, but mostly I want to talk to you about the seed. And as you can see here in verse 8, the field is the world and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. Unlike the first parable that the Lord gave, where the seed was the word of God and the word of God was sown in the hearts of men, and some, some were stolen away by the birds, some, some the weeds choked it out. Uh, this, is, this is being planted here is not the Word of God, but it's the children of God. And what I want you to see here is that as the field is the world, and he sowed the, the, the good seed in the world, that God is interested and concerned, and his desire is to have Christians planted throughout the world. That we are to go to the world and allow ourselves to be planted throughout the world. The Great Commission tells us, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. The Great Commission in Mark says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so we find in Matthew all nations and in Mark all the world. And I want you to think a little bit tonight about a, a field that's maybe been been busted up and and uh, tilled and crop planted there at one time, but no longer. What happens to a field that's not planted? Well, it becomes a weed patch. It's a it's a eyesore. It's a, it's a waste. And when God's seed are not taking root, and where God's seeds are not being planted, then it's a corrupt place. The Bible says, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. When I was a young child, <coughs> there was a town east of the place where I grew up in Oregon, that had a Baptist church, but it gradually began to fade away, and, and I actually went and preached there one time, and there were three women, and none of them could play the piano, so I played the piano and led the singing and preached, and they, they, uh, they didn't want to pray, they wanted a man to pray, so I, I did it all. And finally, it folded, and I think the church building became a museum. But that place, that little town in Oregon, became desperately wicked. Wife swapping, horrible things. Brother Wilson's even mentioned tonight how there's so much corruption in the villages of Alaska. I read a letter this week from Dennis Thomas, one of the missionaries that we support. He's one year older than me, 
but he's still after it. And he and Jolene went to Guyana where he was trying to get into the radio stations where he could broadcast throughout the whole country. And the place that he stayed were, were cordial to him. And when they found out what he was doing, that he was going to walk down the street to go find the radio stations, they begged him not to. They said, it's too dangerous to do that. Don't do that. Let us find someone that can go with you. In Ghana, it's, uh, I'm not pronouncing that right. It's G-U-A-Y-A-N-A, -A -A, where, uh, where the Jones went and people drank the Kool-Aid. It was uh, a terrible place. Years ago, Brother C.D. Ward, a missionary to Brazil, came and was sharing, and, and they went to this village uh, up on the, on the Yukon River. <laughs> Yukon River. Okay, I'm a little bit sick tonight. <laughs> on the... On the uh, not the Nile River. Okay, help me out. The Brazil, the big river in Brazil, Amazon, Amazon River. Should know that. Buy buy groceries from Amazon. <laughs> the Amazon River. And when they got there, he was a medical man, brother Ward. And when they got there, they discovered that. <clears throat> Everybody in the village had said sexually transmitted disease. And we went to another little place outside, just uh, you know, not too far from the village, and they found a family which did not have any sexually transmitted disease. And they thought that was strange. And they began to ask, ask them about their life and what was going on. And they were the only Christians in the whole town. It matters what you believe. And, and it matters, you see, one Christian in a wicked place can give forth tremendous light. And it's actually <coughs> a deterrent to sinful behavior. And so God desires to plant his people there in verse 38 throughout the world. He wants you and I to affect the communities where we live, and where we work, and where we play. He wants us to take ourselves and our church members and plant them in North Pole, Fairbanks, the boroughs of Alaska, to the Americas, in the most parts of the world. And we're not just talking about God-called preachers or God-called missionaries. We're talking about Christians <coughs> who are seed that God has allowed for one reason or another to be planted in a certain place. Now, I wonder tonight if, if there's enough seed to cover the world. There's many dark places today but is there enough seed to influence the world uh, for Jesus Christ? I believe there is. I believe there's enough to influence the world in which we live day by day. I believe there's enough that they can influence the nations of the world. 
When I first came to Alaska, I was amazed to see that dandelions can survive 50 below, and they are throughout Alaska. In fact, one of the th when I raised bees, one of the first places the bees go to gather pollen is on the pipeline. Because the pipe, pipe is, is warm and the ground above it is warm and the dandelions pop up right away. But it was amazing to me to find out that dandelions are not native to North America or South America. Dandelions came from Europe and, and Asia. But somehow, someway, maybe on the Mayflower, somehow, someway, a seed came to America and it got in dirt and it produced, and one seed produced another seed, and now you can't get rid of them. They're all over the world. <clears throat> there's, a, there's, there's a way that you and I as Christians can reproduce ourselves, and we can affect the world in which we live. From history, I believe that William Carey influenced his generation for Christ in India. History tells us that early in the 1800s, American missionaries went to Burma. And even today, the, the Bible that they translate into Burmese language is, the, is still the best Bible to be used in Burma. Brother Pittman in Chile can and is affecting his world as a seed for Christ. Brother Kuzo in South Africa and Brother George and Brother Hammett are affecting their generation for Christ in South Africa. I, I believe that Noah George, a seed that was first planted here and sprouted and felt as though he needed to go and be planted in some other place is affecting the Arabic world in the country of Lebanon and the Lebanese and the Armenians and even beyond the borders of Lebanon. Jesus wants to plant us. And, and when I say that, I'm not just saying that we need to go to another state or another town, but I'm saying that very few of us in here work at the same place. And we're planted throughout this community. And God wants us to be active in trying to reproduce. We need to, we need to <coughs> get an understanding of the power in nature of a seed and the power in Christianity of a seed. The dandelion seed that we talked about, it is so insignificant. It is so small. There's, there's not much to it. It's kind of hard. It doesn't have any life in it. It's dormant. <clears throat> but when it, it blows in the wind and lands in the ground and water hits it, it can reproduce. When you buy a packet of pea seed in the spring and, and maybe 
your kids are hungry and you say, hey, you, you want something to eat? Here's some pea seeds. You know, here's some pea seeds. You like peas, right? And when they look at that and it's all shriveled up and hard, uh, they, they uh, pretty much change their mind. It doesn't look like there's anything to it. How can life be found in this? And I must admit to you that when I look in the mirror in the morning and look back, it looks back at me. It's pretty, pretty lifeless, pretty shriveled. And I wonder, I wonder how I could ever be used to the Lord. Well, only because God places power through the Spirit of God in our lives. That those that seem like they're most unlikely to be used of the Lord can be used of the Lord. And he wants to take that which is shriveled up and very insignificant and reproduce themselves over and over. God wants to take us and affect our world. The seed... <coughs> It's pretty lifeless. But Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul was saying, I don't live, but Christ lives within me. That the power is not within me, but the power in my, in my physical self, but the power is as God works through us. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and he says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. There was a man in the Bible who considered himself not much of a seed. And when he spoke of himself, he said, I'm, I am less than the least of all the saints. And he, know, he knew his own weaknesses and his own inabilities. But that man later wrote, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And so, uh, without becoming emotional, and when I'm sick, I get emotional, but let me say to you, if you're saved here tonight, there's great potential that's in you to change your world. <laughs> now, let's consider... Some of the necessary things for seed to reproduce. When I used to plant gardens, I could buy seed. I could stick it on the shelf in the packet or in the little box that could come in. And uh, forget it's there. And... Uh, 
nothing, nothing happens with it. It's not been planted. And in fact, if something does happen to it, as the months go by and the years go by, the cedar is less and less fertile. And sometimes it's, you can't get any to sprout at all. And so we must be planted. We must be willing to be planted. We must be willing to say, Lord, what would you have me to do? We must be willing to have the Lord move us around. We must ask ourselves, am I in the right area of the field? I'm in the, am I in the right country? Am I living in the city that God wants me to be living in? Am I affecting those people that I come in contact with on a day-by-day -day basis? And we realize that there's only one purpose of a seed. And that's to reproduce. God did not save us so we could have a long life. We may. God did not save us so we could amass wealth and be comfortable. But God saved us that we might bring honor and glory to him, to him and his name. And let's not forget that when a soul is converted, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Not just the angels, but in the presence of the angels. And even though God is foreknowing, he gets excited, it seems, that verse is telling us, over souls being saved. I want you to go to John chapter 12, and it gives uh, some words about Jesus and about seed, but also is applicable to you and I who are saved being planted. In John chapter 12 and verse 23, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily I say to you, except a corn and of wheat, and so the corn is a grain, it's not, it's not two different things here. The corn means a grain. Except a grain of wheat fall to the ground and die. It abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it until life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. And so when I used to plant a garden, I would take, let's say, the pea seed. I put it in the ground and cover it over water it and maybe fertilize it, weed around it, and a lush green pea vine comes up and all the area around it is affected. And so I thought, that's pretty good, you know? We got quite a few peas off that one little seed. I think I'll go back and get it and we'll plant it again next year. And when you go back and begin to dig up where it came up from, and you look at it, 
All that's left is the skin of the pea. It's been consumed. It's, it's, it, gave, it gave everything it had. And one of the reasons I, and perhaps you, were not very, much, very good at reproducing because to reproduce, we have to die to ourselves. We have to give, we have to give our life. But man, you can't compare what that shriveled up pea looks like with the plant that came from it. So there's the problem. Many times the sorry state of the world is because of us. God has enough seed. He abides in us. <clears throat> He's placed you and I in various places of the world. But people's lives are still lost and on the way to hell. And I know they have a free will, but it takes the gospel seed to bring forth fruit. The world is a place where iniquity abounds. And if we're going to reproduce, we're going to have to say to live is Christ and to die is game. Game. We refuse to witness because we fear losing our job or forget that God gave us a job in the first place. God planted us to take root and grow. I remember years ago when <clears throat> Caleb's not in here, so that's good. Years ago when Caleb was taking classes to become a nurse, <clears throat> one of the men in the church said that said that he shouldn't be, be doing that because Nurses have to work on Sunday. But he felt though God was leading him to do that. And he did it. As far as I know, I believe I'm correct in this. He's not worked one Sunday of his life. And he's the head of nursing on the second floor south. Let God plant you. It's amazing how God opens and closes doors when we're planted in the right place. To live is Christ. And to die is gain. Somehow, we... Um, need to have the heart of Jim Elliott who in the 1950s went with three of the men and their wives to Ecuador where they were trying to reach the Aka Indians 
and they would fly over in an airplane and they'd drop down gifts to the Indians and, and uh, try to make contact with them. And finally one day they found a place where they could land their small airplane on the sandbar. And uh, they waited and they saw some of the Aka Indians in the woods and they came out. And the Aka Indians killed them all. Earlier, Jim Elliott had said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot save to gain what he cannot lose. And from that gospel seed that had been planted by these Christian seeds, many Aka Indians came to know the Lord. And one of them was the very man that killed Jim Elliot. <clears throat> a seed, in order to produce, must not only be planted, but it must stay planted. Sometimes God takes his places and we don't really like it there because there are not very many friendly people there. Not very many Christians. We need to stay planted where the Lord plants us. Years ago, we'd be out weeding the garden and some of the kids would be involved. And, and whether this is intentional or not, I don't think it was intentional. But once in a while, a good plant would be uprooted. And you're looking at that nice plant that you thought, whoa, I'm going to get some good stuff off of that. And all you got is a little green and a, a bunch of little scraggly roots down here, a little bit of dirt on it. And so what you do, you hope against hope, and you dig it out, stick it back down the ground, pour some water on it, and you hope it's going to come back to life. Not. I never did, I never did make that work. And so if we realize that God has brought us to a place, stay planted. Stay where you're at. Also, when we were making broccoli and cauliflower plants, <clears throat> they cost so much to buy them from the greenhouses. We plant them, keep them inside. Our living room and dining room would be a mess for a while. All these plants coming up and have to go buy a certain light and we'd move the table over next to the window so they get a little bit of sun. <clears throat> but after a while, after they'd grown, you notice that they were pretty, you know, they're pretty weak. And so, me being a very unexperienced of making gardens, some of the members said, well, you need to harden them off. You need to harden them off. Harden them off, what's that all about? Well, you take them outside, and you let the wind blow against them, and let them experience the coolness of the air, bring them back in, take them back out, bring them back in, and after a while you can leave them out. But what happened was this. They become tough. The wind just didn't blow them around. They, were, they, they become hard. And let's not forget that 
trials of our faith are much more precious than gold. The trials strengthen us and settle us. And sometimes we need to be tried. And being planted, there can be some hardening off. <clears throat> but we notice that Satan comes along in verse 25 there, and, and it said that he planted the tares. He's a good counterfeiter. He counterfeits the gospel. 2 Corinthians 11.13 says, For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. He counterfeits, uh, I mean, true Christians. He counterfeits the gospel. And then he, uh, I marvel that you're so soon removed from them that called you the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. And so not only does he counterfeit those things, but he counterfeits Christians. I was grieved today. <clears throat> My mind wasn't been really functioning good, and so I did some surfing, and I went back and tried to find information on the internet about some boys, uh, preacher boys, uh, Christians. Some of them weren't preacher boys, but they were going to Bible school that I roomed with back in the 70s in the Dallas, Texas area. One of them was a, a man named Philip Hatton. And Philip Hatton, of all the students at Independent Baptist College, Philip Hatton was one that uh, I greatly respected and greatly loved. And his name popped up on the screen in the last couple of months. I don't know, I don't know how new or old this information was. He's been sentenced to a life in prison for child molestation. Now, that could go down two ways when we talk about planting here. Maybe he was a false Christian. Maybe he never was saved. I never knew of a more godly young man. He inspired me. But also may be that he got to the place where he wasn't being an influence, except a bad influence. Plants need to be tended. You got to water plants. You got to weed plants. And if you get out of church and you're not on a regular basis having your life weeded and having the water of life poured into you, you can lose your whole purpose of life. 
I want you to see there in verse 25, and I'll close it pretty quick. When, when this bad tares that looks like wheat when they're young were planted, but verse 25, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Paul wrote to Rome and says, knowing the time that now is high time to wake out of our sleep, for now is salvation nearer than when we believed. He wrote to the Corinthians saying, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame. That maybe we need to be shaken and woken up and say, Listen, our role is to be a seed planted. And I'm speaking to your shame that there's people in your community and in your area at your workplace that have never heard the gospel. And he puts it kind of soft there, but what he's saying is this. He's coming and facing me with the word of God. And he says, uh, when you worked at the fire hall there and was a volunteer fireman, there's some, there some people in this fire hall that have never heard the gospel. Shame on you, Gene. Shame on you. And so, we have a job to do. One of the great things about the Bible that goes on and tells us some stuff, these tares that were sown here remain tares, and they were burned. But we know from Ephesians, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that there were fornicators, adulterers, effeminate, abusing themselves, mankind, murderers, drunkards, and such were some of you, but you're saved. The people's lies, which are terrors, can gloriously be saved and born again. So the challenge is tonight is to realize that there's a lot bigger picture in our lives than just where we make our living. There's a much important, more important thing that going on where you are occupied. And that's those that are around you. And so take root. Allow the Lord to work in your life to harden you off. Be conscious of the fact that there's a bigger picture than what we see of taking home a paycheck, of living on West Athena Circle, or wherever you live. Let's pray. Father, well, I'm thankful tonight that 